to be able to uh, share this last part of our series on Jonah. Uh, we've, we've been titling it The Gospel According to Jonah, and today we're going to be looking at an angry Jonah and a compassionate God. So I would invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles or up on your uh, devices as we look at Jonah chapter 4. And it starts out by saying, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not, uh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live uh, or to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and, said to the, and sat to the east of the city and made a booth uh, for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Uh, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and, a, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you didn't make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And it ends right there with this question. I've got a question. Uh, what would happen in, in the church if, if God, God's spirit, were to move in a mighty way? Could it happen that maybe some would rejoice and others would leave? Because I think we would be mistaking if we believe that all of God's people would celebrate a moving of God. Uh, for that matter, we might hear some of the following um, complaints about the influx or the type of people that are coming into the church or accusations of a lack of authentic faith or concerns about changes that might affect the personal comfort levels, or maybe divisions between old and new members. Some of these statements may come as a shock to you, but they really do reveal the heart of the person speaking. And Jonah chapter 4 pictures that reality. As, as we read this chapter, you, you can't help but notice the interplay between God and this very angry prophet. Now, when we left off last week in, in chapter 3, uh, Jonah had preached to Nineveh, 
And as he was preaching, it looked like a great revival was taking place, greater than any revival in the history of the world, and it pleased God. But it didn't please Jonah. And so as we pick up in chapter 4, there's a few things that I want us to see here. And, and I've outlined uh, some of these points from uh, the first part, from Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. We see that Jonah was in this conversation with God. He called it a prayer. And it was in a sense in that it was, he was speaking to God. But he was really more um, complaining. He had this attitude, and, and he was angry. Um, we can admire at least one aspect about Jonah's prayer, and that is he was honest. Uh, but by speaking honestly, he was opening a window into his heart. Um, amazingly, inside the prophet of God, we see this poison that, that tainted his perspective on this mighty work of God in Nineveh. But, but just a few aspects here of this angry tirade that came um, against God uh, that might explain why he was mad. Um, I said, uh, this is Jonah, uh, he was trying to correct God, but, but God um, didn't listen. Um, jo Jonah had been lecturing God when, when the Lord called him to go and preach, but Jonah informed God of, of, of these two things, that, Nona des uh, that Nineveh deserved judgment and that he was the wrong man for the job. Um, Jonah wanted God to conform to his wishes, um, not vice versa. You know, I wonder why is it that we believe that we can convince God that he doesn't know what he's doing, either in his treatment of us or when he calls us to something. Jonah not only I said, but also I fled. Jonah, uh, God refused Jonah's request. Um, and when that happened, the prophet took matters into his own hand. Um, he ran from God. He didn't want the Assyrians the opportunity to repent. Um, sadly, we see this sometimes in, in the churches today. We, we know that God has commanded us to reach out to others. And yet, we only want to reach out to those who are just like us. Racially. Socially within the same tribe, skin color, language. So we simply don't even try to reach out to others. We ignore our calling to disobey God. I said, I fled, I knew. Jonah was mad because he knew what, what God was always good. Let me ask you, have you ever become angry in your spirit because God has blessed somebody else? You know, in fairness, Jonah did grasp the greatness of God and God's love for a sinning world. He knew that God was merciful to the guilty. He knew that God was compassionate on weak humanity. He knew that God is slow to become angry even in the face of grievous sin. He knew that God is rich in faithful love to those that are unlovely. He knew that God is willing to relent from sending judgment on those that repent. I said, I fled, I knew. And then verse 3, take my life. 
See, Jonah valued his reputation more than God's. Jonah was petitioning to God, you know, take my life. And, and he felt like he lost credibility um, with the Jews by preaching to their enemy. Now, now, now some might say here, but, but eventually Jonah did do it. He, he did do what God asked him. Yeah, sure he did. After he repented and submitted to God inside of the, uh, the belly of a whale. But if you notice with Jonah, his pride and his prejudice like, like, like for any of us, um, you know, when we return to the flesh, those, those weaknesses, those sins become inflamed. And in less than 40 days, Jonah was back to his old self and back to his old attitude. And so we got to be careful that we also don't return to the pig pen of our past sins. Lest we find ourselves caught up in the mire, in the mud once again. I hope we're able to see what's going on in Jonah's mind here. That, that, that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh but because he knew the character of God. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was compassionate. He, he knew that God was slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He knew that God would forgive them. And if they turned from their wicked ways and sought the ways of the Lord. But, but here's the bottom line for Jonah. God is God. And Jonah is not. That's a hard lesson for Jonah to learn. But then again, that's a hard lesson for any of us to learn. Because if the truth be known, there's a little Jonah in, in, in each of us. And a lot of Jonah in most of us. Can I really let God be God? Can I really let him take control of my life? Um, can I really trust him and believe that he knows what's best for me? Uh, can I really acknowledge that he is in control and I am not? Even though sometimes I think I am. God will often do unpredictable and extraordinary things. And sometimes those are things that I don't like. Look at these passages of scripture with me. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or how about this one from Romans 5? Not only that, says Paul, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Consider it all joy, and we rejoice when we have troubles. What is the Bible actually talking about here? I don't know about you, but, but when trials come, when troubles come, I am not happy. I am not filled with joy. But here's the thing. God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. And so maybe, Jonah, you, you need some 
attitude adjustment. Maybe, Jonah, you need a change of heart. Maybe, Jonah, you need to listen. Jonah, are you listening? Are you learning? Jonah, can you hear what God is trying to teach you? God is in charge, not you. You are not in charge of him. Romans 9.15 says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. See, God doesn't ask for your permission or my permission. He doesn't ask for your blessing or my blessing because he is God and we are not. And so we then we go on to this next section, God's object lesson. This is from uh, verses 4 through 9. Uh, here we see the plant that reveals Jonah's divided heart. I, I, I don't know if you've ever either in person or at least, you know, on television or, or um, you know, or through movies, if you, you know, you see a hardened criminal, criminal. And, and we hear of the brutal activities that they um, are involved with, and, and it's concluded that these are just cold-hearted monsters. And, 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 I, and I would sometimes see these shows about these, um, you know, just these, these, these brutal murderers, and then they would have, like, these testimonies of people, <coughs> excuse me, who would know these, you know, criminals when they were younger, you know, and, and it would be the, the person's mother or their neighbor or their teacher, and they would testify that that person was such a good father or they were such a gentle person. And so how can a person that has those type of characteristics demonstrate such radical personalities? Oh, thank you, sweet girl. Appreciate that. It's a divided heart. And so while Jonah was not a, an axe murderer, Jonah also had a divided heart. See, on the one hand, he was God's spokesman for morality, but on the other hand, he was full of hatred and contempt. And God knew it. And so God used a plant to show his heart. Here's how, here's how this chapter just, or this part of the chapter just kind of breaks down. Um, five things here, the weight. Jonah was hoping that God would change his mind. Uh, Forty days of which we had spoken probably had not yet expired, and he's waiting to see if God is going to judge them despite their repentance. Verse 6, the weed. God uses a plant to comfort Jonah. Verse 7, the worm. God... Um, destroys Jonah's um, comfort. Verse 8, the wind. God sends a, a scorching wind to disturb Jonah. And then verse 9, the word. God asks Jonah a, a, a penetrating question. He says, do you have the right to be mad about the death of a plant? And Jonah says, yeah, I, I have the right. But, but honestly, did he really? He had nothing to do with producing that plant. He did nothing to grow that plant. He did nothing to save that plant. It wasn't Jonah's plant. It was God's plant. 
So, so why did God ask this question? I think God asked this question to, to show Jonah how misplaced values were. A couple of observations. I think Jonah cared more about his personal comfort than for the people of Nineveh. And Jonah cared more about the plant or the vine than he did for the people of Nineveh. Jonah had a divided heart. There's a question for us I, I think we also need to consider in this. Do we only love God when things are going well? I mean, think about what I said a few minutes ago. You know, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and, and we, are, we rejoice when we have trouble. Is that really true for us? Do you only love God when things are going well? Do you only love God when the sun is shining? Or do you love God when the storms of life come crashing down on you too? You see, I think what was going on here was in chapter 3, God saves Nineveh. And in chapter 4, God is in the process of saving Jonah. You see, salvation is a process. God wants us to be changed. God wants us to be more like him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, if you're here today and you're saved, God is working in you. And God is not finished with you yet. You see, God wants us to be transformed. God wants us to be changed by the renewing of our minds. He wants us to change the way that we think about things. God knows how to deal with wicked sinners. He saves them. But what does God do with those people who are the holier than thou? He saves them. He saves them to be more like himself. You see, God is in the life of changing people. He saves people. And he continues to save people, to transform them out of the journey of their lives. God is transforming us. God is changing us. God is getting us ready for heaven. So here's a question. How can we tell if we're being changed? How can we know if God is at work in our lives? Well, we know that we are being changed when we start loving the things that God loves. We know that we are being changed when we start acting like God acts. 
God is the potter. We're just the clay. God is in the process of molding and making us into his own image. Third, God's objective. And here in verses 10 and 11, um, his forgiveness reveals his, his loving heart. What is it that matters to God the most? I want to suggest that it's people. And, and it's interesting that God has, or, or that Jonah has just experienced that that which he hated to show the Assyrians forgiveness and the mercy of God. God, God corrects Jonah's lack of compassion because Jonah had no right to get angry over that plant. And God clarifies his love and compassion because this chapter ends with a question. God basically asks Jonah, you know, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Uh, should, should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not love the people there? Well, obviously, the answer is yes. God always loves people. God is always concerned about people. But there's a great difference between Jonah and God. God loves people. Jonah loved the plant more than he loved people. Jonah was more concerned with his comfort than he was about his character. Jonah would rather be comfy and cozy than be concerned about the condition of Nineveh. Well, does Jonah change his mind? Does he come to see things the way that God sees them? Does he start loving people in the end? Well, the story doesn't tell us. It just leaves us wondering. It just leaves us hoping. So what are some things that we can learn from this book? Three things. Number one, God loves people. God loves. God loved the people in Nineveh. And God loves the people in Nairobi. And he loves the people in Mombasa. And he loves the people in Eldoret. And he loves the people in Garissa. God loves people. God has always been concerned about people. You see, Nineveh is people. Nineveh is your next-door neighbor. Nineveh is the employee at the bank. Nineveh is that lady next to you in line at car four. Nineveh is the person that you bump into at Java. Nineveh is the people you see as you drive down Gong Road. Nineveh is that relative that you haven't spoken to in years because you're angry with them even though you don't remember why. Nineveh is the pregnant teenage girl that should have known better. Nineveh is that person that has all the tattoos and body piercings that you just raised your eyebrows at. Nineveh is everyone, even though you may not be like them. You see, all of these people that I just described are Nineveh. 
And all the people that are around you here this afternoon, uh, sorry, this evening, are Nineveh. Your friends and your foes, the good guys and the bad guys, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in the world, God loves them. You see, Nineveh is not just a place. Nineveh is people. And so wherever you find people, there you find Nineveh in its splendor and power and glory and greed and corruption and brutality and destruction and evil. It's all there, mixed together. The good with the bad, the light with the darkness, brothers and sisters. Take a look around. You and I live in Nineveh. And so the message is clear. God loves Nineveh because he loves people. He loves people who make their living in the big city. He loves people who are working up country. God loves people. He always has, and he always will. And the story of Jonah is that God wants Nineveh saved. Here's a second lesson. God's plan for saving people involves people. God sends Jonah to Nineveh in order that it might be saved. And as far as I know, there was no plan B. Jonah was to go to Nineveh and preach there. You see, God always uses people to save people. Now, was Jonah reluctant? Was Jonah rebellious? Was Jonah stubborn? Yes, yes, yes. But God got his attention. And after spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, Jonah went. You see, God's plan for saving people always involves people. There's no plan B. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and eventually he went. Eventually he did what God asked him to do. Let me ask you something. Is God calling you to do something? Have you been reluctant? Have you been rebellious? Have you been stubborn? I know I have. And God has a way to get my attention. But what would God have to do to get your attention? What would God have to do to get you to obey him? Why is it that we just can't obey God and just avoid all the drama? I mean, we should just pray something like this. Lord, help me to pay attention to you. Make me an obedient servant. Help me to stop running to the Tarshishes of the world. Help me to be a part of your plan for this world. Help me to be a faithful servant. Help me to be a witness for you. 
Help me to tell others of your love. Lord, please don't send a great fish my way. God wants to use me to save the world, and God wants to use us to save the world. And so let us willingly be a part of that plan. Finally, God is willing to do whatever it takes to save people. How far is God willing to go to save the people of Nineveh? He was, he was so intent on their salvation that he would never let go of Jonah. He would never let him off the hook. Jonah was the plan for Nineveh. Jonah needed to go there. Jonah needed to preach there. Jonah needed to witness there. God did what he needed to do to get Jonah there, and finally, he went. Jesus is the plan for you and me. God sent Jesus for you and me. Jesus was not stubborn. Jesus was not rebellious. Jesus came for us willingly. John 3.16, we, we, all, we all know, we're all familiar with it. I didn't even put it on the board because I just know you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God's actions speak louder than words. God never let Jesus off the hook. He gave his son for us. Jesus prayed that the cup might pass from him, but it didn't. God had a plan for our salvation. God was willing to do whatever it took to save you and to save me. He gave us his son. And I think that's why the, the book ends so abruptly, the book of Jonah ends so abruptly with a question. I, I think Jonah's lack of response indicates that he got the point. That the way that we fully understand ourselves is to compare our self-interest with God's sacrificial love. Are we willing to listen and to obey God's plan for us?